Please turn with me this evening for to 1 Samuel chapter 28. I'll be reading from verse 3 through verse 25. This is the word of the living God. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by, the, by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul bowed to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. But what, you, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you, and has become your adversary. The Lord has done according, accordingly as he spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. 
Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to your words which you spoke to me. So now also, please listen to the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to them. So he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. The woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly slaughtered it, and she took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. She brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Lord, thank you for this, your word. And Lord, as we come to this rather unusual chapter, we pray that your spirit would bless our understanding, that he would open the word to our minds, and that through it we would be equipped to live faithfully for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, I had an unforgettable experience involving a book by John Bunyan. I had read and thoroughly enjoyed Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and I would commend that book to you if you have never read it. After having had such an enjoyable time with that volume, I decided to read another of Bunyan's spiritual allegories. And so the book that I took up next was The Holy War. Now, admittedly, it is not nearly as good as Pilgrim's Progress. But there was a part of The Holy War that I found very arresting and even somewhat disturbing. The main character in the book is Prince Emmanuel. And he is dealing with a city called Man's Soul. When the people of man's soul reject his appeals and rebel against him, Prince Emmanuel turns his back and he leaves them to him to themselves. Later, when the town falls under the influence of Prince Diabolos, they realize their great error. So they send messages to Prince Emmanuel asking him to come back and urging him to help them. To their chagrin, their messages are ignored. Prince Emmanuel refuses to respond to their pleas. And even after they send repeated pleas for help, they get no response from the prince whom they had spurned. This led me to ponder the case of those who are beyond repentance. The author of Hebrews speaks about such cases 
in Hebrews chapter 6, he says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. This is a fearful position to be in. To be so hardened in sin that you have gone beyond the possibility of repentance. And as we will see in our passage here this evening, this is precisely where we find King Saul. He is a man very near to the end of his rope. He is about to plunge headlong into hell. So as we consider this chapter, I want to start by looking at Saul's misery. Then we're going to look at Samuel's message and finish with the Last Supper. Well, after seeing David caught in a dilemma of his own making in chapter 27, the focus shifts dramatically back to Saul and to his problems. But before we get to Saul, we are reminded once again that Samuel was dead. He was buried in Ramah, his home city, to the grief of all Israel. We are also told of the policy of King Saul in his earlier days. In obedience to God's commandments in the law, Saul had removed all of the mediums and spiritists from Israel. Leviticus 20, verse 27 says, Now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. And so King Saul was right to remove these spiritists, these mediums, from Israel. And then one last fact is brought forward in order to set the stage. The Philistines had gathered together and they were camped in Shunem. Now this represents a new strategy for the Philistines. They are no longer conducting raiding expeditions in the south. This is an attempt rather to capture the valley of Jezreel in the center of the country. And if they could push forward as far as the Jordan, just keep driving to the Jordan River, they would cut Saul's kingdom in half. The northern tribes would be hemmed into the north. The southern tribes would be isolated to the south. And the two would not have an easy connection between them. So this was a very dangerous initiative on the part of the Philistines, and it could really cripple Saul's kingdom. Saul was right to be concerned about this. He was afraid. His heart trembled greatly, as it should. Well, in his anxiety, Saul decided to seek the Lord. He inquired of the Lord through three different means, through dreams, through the Urim and Thummim, and by the prophets. 
And in each case, there was no answer. The Lord did not respond to Saul in any of these usual ways or in any other fashion for that matter. This only increased Saul's anxiety, for the Lord was offering no help, no reassurances, no promise of victory. Saul became desperate, and there was one possibility that came to his mind. It was Samuel. Samuel. Saul could get something from Samuel except for the fact that Samuel was dead. So in order to call up the dead prophet, Saul would need a medium, a witch. But he himself had previously put them all out of business. And thus, in a moment of catastrophic compromise, Saul asks his own servants to find him a medium that he might go and inquire of her. Now, not altogether surprising is the fact that a medium was known to be at Endor, a village that was near to where the Philistine army was encamped. And so, at some risk to himself, Saul and two of his lieutenants secretly journeyed to the witch of Endor. When they encounter her, she is immediately suspicious. Though Saul had disguised himself, she sensed a dangerous trap. Her life could be forfeit. So in order to assure her, Saul does a very odd thing. He vows by the name of the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. You might think, well, sure, that's what he's supposed to do. To take his oaths and vows in the name of the Lord. But just think about what's going on here. This is really Saul's problem in a nutshell. He is promising her in God's name that she won't be punished for doing something that God says was a capital crime demanding capital punishment. So as he had done before, Saul makes up his own rules, and he uses God in the process. This is not the only time in history this has ever happened. In fact, this is a fairly common play in the playbook of many people. You do what you want to do, even if it runs directly counter to God's word and his commandment, and then you baptize your course of action with some pious-sounding language, even using God's name. And that makes it all better, doesn't it? Not at all. Even men aren't fooled by this stuff. God certainly sees right through it. And in a lot of ways, this is just Saul being Saul. He is still the same person. He's doing the same sorts of things. Well, reassured, this woman then summons Samuel from the dead. And as soon as she does, she realizes who 
her customer actually is. It is the king himself, King Saul. You are Saul, she says. He then further reassures her that it's all okay and she won't be harmed for helping him. He is in deep desperation now, and every step draws him deeper and deeper into the mire of sin. After Samuel speaks with Saul, which we will examine in just a moment, Saul is devastated. He will die within the next 24 hours. God offers him no hope, no encouragement, no possibility of escape. He and Jonathan will die in battle with the Philistines. Saul is headed to the realm of the dead. More specifically, Saul is teetering on the brink of hell itself. He is about to be thrown headlong into the flames. Saul knows this, and he collapses on the ground. He is entirely undone. His hope, his last hope, is extinguished. Saul is now hopeless, and he is helpless. And this just shows us what misery comes to those who harden themselves against the Lord and who refuse to follow his commands. When a person chooses to disobey the Lord and will not repent of that disobedience, they grow increasingly hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It gets worse and worse as time goes by until they are so calcified in their sin that they are beyond repentance. And all of that awaits them now is the gloomy expectation of the eternal torments of hell. Saul has arrived at this final stop on the line, and God has abandoned him. And it's all because he chose to sin. He dug in his heels. He would not confess his sin. He would not repent of his sin. He doubled down. He tripled down. And he thought that that would be just fine. He could get away with it. But sin always hardens. And the more we remain unrepentant, the harder we get. And it can become so hardened that we have moved beyond that point of repentance. This is a stern warning to us not to think that sin is of no account. And that we can just do whatever we want. And God will forgive me. He doesn't care about such things. Oh, but he does care. Well, the appearance of Samuel in this story is unique. I know of no other account in all Scripture where a dead saint is brought back to speak with a living person on earth. This is not like the resurrection that took place in Jerusalem on the day that Jesus died upon the cross. In that case, the dead were raised and they went about the city of Jerusalem as a testimony to Christ's crucifixion. 
But here, Samuel's spirit appears, though his body remained in the tomb in Ramah. And the appearance of Samuel's spirit comes as a great shock to the witch herself. Commentators argue, and I think very likely, that she was in the business of deceiving people by her magic arts. She really wasn't able to raise the dead normally, but she could pretend to do so. Her customers would be none the wiser, and she would earn a hefty fee for her services rendered. But in this instance, her efforts produce something that is really shocking, even to herself. She is so stunned that she screams when she sees Samuel. She calls him a divine being coming up from the earth. Literally, he is a god. Elohim. This is far beyond her normal experience, and it is entirely outside of her control. And she seems to retreat from the view while Samuel is there speaking to Saul. You see, Saul was not the only one terrified by this. Even the witch herself. Now let me pause just a moment to say this. Don't take this passage as any endorsement or encouragement or even allowance to dabble in the occult. Ouija boards, seances, tarot card readings, fortune telling, all of it is wicked. It is demonic. A Christian should never have anything to do with such activities. Any efforts to justify occult practices from this passage are wrong-headed, and they constitute a misuse of Scripture. We must be very clear and certain that Christians never ever have anything to do with demonic activity, no matter what is going on in the society around us. Now, as our culture gets further and further from its Christian roots, its Christian commitments and connections, things like the occult become trendy. And they can come through all kinds of different media. The Internet can be used for occult practices. But the church, the Christian community, has to stand staunchly against this. And we have to make sure that our children don't somehow get drawn into or sucked into this occult activity of our society. Now, in our day and age, there is no more black and white. Everything is just some form of gray. Absolutes are out of fashion. And to say something is wrong or bad or evil, I remember, what was it, 20 years ago, when George Bush called the, the communist world the evil empire, and oh, did they howl about that. Because you can't say anything is evil. There are evil things in this world. And occult activity is a clear evil. So what does Samuel then say to Saul as they hold this conversation? What is Samuel's message to this desperate man 
But Samuel begins by chiding Saul for disturbing his rest. Samuel's life and his ministry on earth were over. He was now in God's presence. He was in Abraham's bosom. Saul should not have troubled him. Saul then explains the situation. The Philistines are waging war, and God has departed from him and does not answer him. And for that reason, Saul says that he called up Samuel's spirit to help him. And Samuel responds with yet another sharp rejoinder. Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? Saul surely must have known that Samuel stood with the Lord against Saul and that Saul had no hope with Samuel. If the Lord had turned away from Saul, Samuel would as well. Well, Samuel then makes a series of points that pierce to Saul's rotten heart. He first says that the Lord is simply doing what he had earlier announced through Samuel. The kingdom was torn from Saul's hand and it was given to David. And this was because of Saul's miserable failure to execute God's fierce wrath on Amalek so many years ago. Because of Saul's disobedience, the Lord's judgment had fallen. And now, the Lord would give Israel over into the hands of the Philistines, along with Saul and his sons. By the next day, Saul and Jonathan would join Samuel in the realm of the dead. They too were going to the grave. Saul would undoubtedly go to hell where he would suffer until the final resurrection of the dead and the judgment. Meanwhile, Jonathan would go to be with Christ and be in the presence of God until the last day. And even more, the armies of Israel would succumb to the Philistine horde. It was going to be a bloodbath. And Saul was going to be at the very center of it. Well, as Samuel's message sinks into Saul's mind. He is overcome and he collapses on the ground. It looks as if he had died on the spot. And the woman came to Saul and she could plainly see that he was terrified. Here is a man paralyzed with fear. As he lay quaking on the ground, she tried to rouse him because it certainly would look quite bad if the king died in her house. Taking an almost motherly role, she urges him to sit up and to eat something so that his strength would return and he could leave. Initially, Saul refused her offer. I will not eat, he said. But then, as Saul's servants and the woman continued urging him, he finally listened he arose from the ground and he sat on her bed. Instantly, the woman disappeared to the kitchen to kill the fattened calf and to cook it for the king. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. Now, frankly, this is amazing to me. Because if I'm going to cook something 
for a dinner, what do I do? I go to the fridge or the freezer. I get out the packet of meat. And then I do whatever I'm going to do to prepare it. And I cook it and I serve it. And it usually takes a while. To slaughter a live animal? And then to cut it up? And then to cook it? This woman's amazing. <laughs> and she is making a feast for the king. Once it was done, she brought the feast before Saul and his servants, and they ate a meal truly fit for a king. This would be Saul's last supper. Samuel's prophecy would prove true. Saul would die in battle the very next day. And Saul, so Saul eats his final meal in the presence of a witch who had just committed a crime worthy of death that he said he would not punish. Saul's life is at an end. He ate the meal. He arose with his two companions. And they went away into the night. One cannot help but think of another supper held a thousand years later. There was another reprobate who ate a supper and went out in the darkness. And as he did, the devil entered into Judas's heart as he went out to betray Jesus to the chief priests. Judas would soon die also, just as Saul did. And the two of the most miserable men are now spending their days suffering the pains of hell in a place where the flame never goes out and the worm never dies. Not a single drop of water is available to wet their tongues as they suffer the agonies of hell in the flames. 6.05, Sunday night, February 19, 2023, where are Judas and Saul? They're in hell right now. They suffer now because of their sin, because of their unrepentant, rebellious hearts. And this reminds us again where unrepentant sin will take a man or a woman whether it was the disobedience of Saul to the Lord's clear command or the greed of Judas in taking 30 pieces of silver to betray his master. Unrepentant sin sustained over time hardens men until they are past the possibility of repentance. When Prince Emmanuel finally turns his back upon you, there is nowhere else to turn. No other help exists. Though you will ask, he will not respond. And this is why we always urge and implore you, keep short accounts with the Lord your God. Repent of your sins quickly, sincerely, and particularly. Don't allow yourself to think that you can always repent later on, perhaps on your deathbed. No. Repent today. 
Be reconciled to God as soon as you possibly can before you lay your head down to sleep tonight. Do not let the deceitfulness of sin harden you as it hardens so many in our day. You know, there's people all over this county, all over this state, all throughout this country who are hardened in sin's deceitfulness. And they get harder and harder as time goes on. And their souls are in real danger of eternal destruction. And that's why we have to keep going out and proclaiming the gospel and calling all men everywhere to repent and believe the good news so that they can escape the wrath to come. Because the wrath is coming. And when it comes, it will not delay and it cannot be stopped. And we as ambassadors of Jesus Christ go out into our community, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, even into our extended families, and we are warning and urging people, today is the day of salvation. Repent of your sins. Don't keep hardening in sin's deceitfulness. Lest you perish. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the warnings of your word, for the terrible outcome of Saul's wicked life of rebellion. Lord, we are chilled by what we see in this man who started so fair, so beautiful, so commended by so many, and to end his life in such a wretched state. Lord, guard our hearts from unrepentant sin Guard us for, from putting off confession and repentance. Lord, draw us increasingly to admit and own our sins before you and to call upon you in truth. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.